0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of the 2024 Total Solar Eclipse Podcast. I'm Michael Bakich. If you're a supporter of this podcast, thank you. If not, head to patreon.com and let your kindness help me to keep spreading the word about the upcoming event. I've titled today's podcast, Picking the Right Telescope for the Eclipse, Part 1. Buying a telescope, like buying a car, is subject to your tastes as a consumer. In other words, the choice is up to you. But I want to provide some guidance to make your purchase before the total solar eclipse as informed as possible. I'll describe the three main types of telescopes, along with some general advantages and disadvantages for each. I'll also discuss mounts, tripods, eyepieces, and accessories. Buying a telescope is a big decision, and you shouldn't rush into it just because the eclipse is coming. I offer this series of four podcasts to get you headed in the right direction. First, what do the numbers mean? The most important number of any telescope is its aperture, which is the size of the main lens or mirror. Manufacturers give these sizes in inches, so you'll hear 4 inch, 8 inch, up to about a 30 inch for the fortunate few who can afford such an instrument. Other numbers, like F4, written F 4, F10, or F15, are a telescope's focal ratio. This number, together with the aperture, can give you the approximate length of any telescope. For example, a 6 inch F4 telescope will be approximately 6 inches times 4, or 24 inches long excluding lens shades and everything else. So will a 4-inch F6 telescope. So whether it's 6x4 or 4x6, both of these scopes would be about 2 feet long. A 6-inch F10 telescope, on the other hand, will be roughly 5 feet long. The first type of telescope invented was the refracting telescope, or refractor. Refraction is the bending of light that happens when it passes from air through glass and back to air. The glass does the bending. A refractor uses a carefully made lens system to bend the light just enough. Because the surfaces of the lenses have the proper shape, the light comes to a focus. The earliest telescopes had poor optical quality because the lenses had various defects and early instrument makers used a single piece of glass for them. In 1729, the first lens that combined two different types of glass appeared. The word for this type of lens is acromat, which means not color-dependent. An acromat lens does a good job of bringing all colors of light to the same focus. In the 1980s, the first apochromatic lenses became available. An acromat is a system whose lens combines two pieces of glass. Apocromats also may use two pieces, but they're more likely to have three or four. The main difference between the two types is the amount of excess color you'll see on bright objects. Excess color usually appears as a purple fringe on one edge of the object. Through an acromat, you'll see excess color on bright objects like Jupiter, Venus, and the Moon. Many observers simply ignore this. Apochromats deliver an image essentially free of excess color. Because of the additional lenses, however, apochromats cost quite a bit more than achromats of the same size. Okay, here are a few advantages of refractors. High-quality refractors have a totally clear aperture. There's no central obstruction to scatter light from bright to dark areas. That means image contrast is generally better in refractors. Observers of planets and double stars often use refractors as their premier instruments for viewing those objects. A second advantage of refractors is low maintenance. Lenses never require recoding like mirrors do. Also, a lens system generally doesn't require adjustment, what telescope makers call collimation. The lens doesn't get out of alignment unless the scope encounters some major trauma. In other words, if you don't drop the telescope, you'll never have to align it. Yet another advantage is that some of the newest refractors are among the smallest, and therefore most portable, telescopes made. This can be the major factor in your choice. Those are the advantages. Here's the one disadvantage of refractors. Because a refractor has a closed tube, it requires a certain amount of time to adjust to outside temperature when moved from a warm house to a cooler outdoors, or vice versa. Today's refractors sport aluminum tubes with thin walls. They've reduced the weight, but you still have to take cool down time into account. So, to summarize, here are the three things you should know about refractors. Number one, refractors use lenses. Number two, Refractors require the lowest maintenance. Number three. Many small refractors will mount on a camera tripod, making them the ultimate grab-and-go scopes. Now, on to reflecting telescopes. Scottish mathematician James Gregory invented the reflecting telescope, or reflector, in 1663. Although he's given credit for the invention, Gregory never actually made the telescope. That happened when English mathematician Sir Isaac Newton constructed the first working reflector in 1668. It had a mirror a scant one inch across and a tube six inches long. A so-called Newtonian reflector contains two mirrors, one called the primary at the bottom of the tube and a small flat secondary near the top of the tube. Light enters the hole at the top, travels down the tube hits the primary mirror, and reflects to the secondary. That mirror then reflects it 90 degrees into an eyepiece. Early reflecting telescopes had mirrors made of solid metal polished to a high reflectivity. Unfortunately, the metal tarnishes quickly, and it expands and contracts with temperature. Today's telescope mirrors are made of glass, coated on the curved side with an ultra-thin layer of aluminum. Okay. Here are a few advantages of reflectors. Reflecting telescopes show no excess color. That means you won't see color fringes around even the brightest objects. But the biggest advantage of reflectors is cost. When working with a mirror, manufacturers have to polish one surface. An apochromatic lens has between four and eight surfaces. Plus, you're looking through the lenses, so the glass has to be defect free. Telescopes with apertures of more than 6 inches, with few exceptions, are all reflectors or compound telescopes. Now, the disadvantages of reflectors, and there are three. First, the placement of the secondary mirror creates an obstruction. It scatters some light from bright areas into darker ones when you look through the eyepiece. Second, Newtonian reflectors suffer from coma, a defect that causes stars at the edge of the field of view to look like a comet. Observers usually compensate for this by putting all the targets at the center of the field of view. And third, because of how the mirror attaches to the tube, a reflector is sensitive to being bumped or jostled when transported. Advanced skygazers take no chances here. They collimate, that is, align, their telescopes before each observing session. So, to summarize, here are three things to know about reflectors. Number one, reflectors use mirrors. Number two, reflectors offer the best size per dollar ratio. Number three, reflectors are the largest amateur telescopes. Next week, part two. Please help me to keep spreading the word about the eclipse by supporting this podcast. And if you like this one, please give it a like. It's easy and free, and it will energize me to continue. If you're a fan of the printed word, head to myscienceshop.com and order a copy of Your Guide to the 2024 Total Solar Eclipse. You'll have most of the info I've chatted about in these podcasts at your fingertips, plus some nicely detailed maps of the path by eclipse mapmaker Michael Zeiler. I'm Michael Bakich. Thanks for listening.